Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Done By Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. And good evening and welcome to Done By Law for this beautiful first Tuesday of November. My name is Gemily Dodds and you're here with Sue as well. Um, and we've also got Nicola Donovan from the um, Animal Lawyers for Animals um, uh, organisation. So it's great to have you in the studio tonight. Thank you for inviting me. It's fantastic. Thanks it's for coming. Brilliant. Especially time- timely. <laughs> mm. So... Um, Tonight, uh, tonight's show is about animal rights law, um, so the law of animal rights. And before we start, um, we'll just give you a little bit of a general warning about the content of the show, uh, a trigger warning. Um, <clears throat> we'll be touching on some topics that might be upsetting for some listeners, but certainly no- nothing graphic. Um, so just that small warning, excuse me, <clears throat> coughing. <laughs> um, so, of, of course, everybody knows today's Melbourne Cup Day. And um, leading up to today, there's been a lot of media about the welfare of racehorses. And um, so we thought we'd put this show together to ask about not just the welfare of racehorses, but the what the law does to protect all animals, if at all. So that's what we're discussing tonight with Nicola, who's the president of Lawyers for Animals. So firstly, can you tell us a little bit about Lawyers for Animals? Sure. Well... Lawyers for Animals is a smallish not-for-profit that started in Victoria. Well, we're based in Melbourne, but we're actually sort of a national organisation. We have members from around Australia, but most of our um, executive are based in Melbourne. We do have some interstate. And we started in 2005. Um, I was not one of the founding members. The founding members were two fantastic female um, Melbourne lawyers, young female Melbourne lawyers, who just saw this need um, in Australia, which wasn't being met like some organisations had begun overseas. I think in America, the Animals Legal Defence Fund had started, and in um, Britain, I think it's called A Law. Mm-hmm. And so they saw this need for um, people who had legal training, legal background, to use those skills to speak up for animals who obviously can't speak up for themselves. No. Or if they do, we don't listen. (laughs) Yes. Hmm. So given that it's Melbourne Cup Day, um, before we move on to the main topic that we're going to discuss tonight about those general legal rights of animals, um, Nicola, could you speak briefly about your knowledge and experience of cruelty in the racing industry? Sure. I was hoping to get a chance to say something today Mm -hmm. because although I have strenuously avoided, as usual, trying Mm -hmm. to listen to anything Flemington-related, I did hear the news on the way in and couldn't help noting that um, it looks like another horse who has pulled up very lame and may have a broken pelvis 
from the Cup may be destroyed. So um, that's one of the horses that was in the Melbourne Cup today. Yes, Rostropovich. Mm, okay. Now, um, the thing is, I even had to Google, because I'm sure that I knew that other horses had died in the Melbourne Cup. I had to Google, my memory is that bad, that I had to Google and find out that the last six Melbourne Cups are horses died. Mm. Wow. This, this could potentially be the seventh. Mm. I'm very worried about this horse because there would be so much focus on trying to keep it alive mm. that, you know, they didn't destroy it on the track like they did the cliffs of, uh, the horse was called the cliffs of Moor last mm. year. Yeah, so anyway. Is there something, mm. do you think, about the Melbourne Cup in particular as a race that, that causes horses to die at a more frequent rate than other races or are we getting a wrong correlation there? What do you think there it is? is? A, look, there is a trainer who's arguing that the last six horses that died were all international horses. Right, okay. So whether that has something to do with the the nature of the track, but there are a lot of international horses running in that race every yeah. year. So mm. I'm, I'm not just sufficiently not... expert, yeah. but I do know that a lot of horses break down in racing, yeah. suffer these injuries because, well, what, what yeah. can I say? It's like um, people go to see... The races and they are shocked and surprised yeah. when there's injury and I say well it's like going it's to the really Coliseum and, yeah. and, uh, and watching the mm. battles there and being surprised by the yeah no mm. I, I don't think it's surprising at all because mm. um, it's a very long race and I wasn't sure whether I, well, I don't know mm. the first thing about racing I shouldn't mm, be really clear <laughs> so uh, my understanding is that the Melbourne Cup's meant to be sort of like the equivalent of running 10 marathons in in terms of the 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 endurance that a horse has to have to get through that race and carrying weight yeah um it's but obviously i mean horses um the melbourne cup i think has grown a a a focus because of the the popularity it has but i presume obviously a lot of horse racing um has this level of of um you know terrible treatment of horses yeah, look, I, I think all racing is kind mm-hmm. of about pushing animals to their limits mm-hmm. or beyond their limits. That's mm-hmm. the whole problem with the horses breaking down, breaking legs, breaking bones in stress fractures while running. I mm-hmm. mean, and these are horses at the peak of their fitness, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah. to be in this race. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're just pushing them. And so, why are they pushing them? Oh, yes. Money. Yeah, of course. It's huge. So that feels really huge to try and deal with tonight. But yes. perhaps, um, in your opinion, is there a solution, and how and how would you how would you go about changing mm. it? If Look, I have to point out, I kind of wanted to talk about this because I've had a little bit of personal background to this racing industry. Mm-hmm. My family are all particularly racing oriented. I'm okay. sure they're all watching, <laughs> watching if not attending today, unfortunately. Um, my brother, um, he had a, mm, let's just say he went and joined um, the strappers at Flemington when he was 16. So he left home very early and I was the youngest child. So he would come home on the weekends sometimes and he would, he knew that I loved animals and I remember him telling me stories of his experiences as a strapper. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, I remember them because they were such traumatic memories mm. Um, of being asked to beat a horse into submission, of being 
regularly using batteries to train the horses so that when they saw the whips in the races where they didn't have batteries under the saddle, they would um, think of the shocks that they received. Mm. So all these practices, and he was with um, what I think was, who was considered quite a reputable trainer. All of these practices seemed absolutely standard to me. That was a long time ago. That was 40 years ago. Yeah, that's true. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, um, I'm just trying but, to make But then sure there's been a recent, um, someone has recently, a trainer has recently been charged with very serious cruelty. I don't know if you're aware of that. And he also is one of the prominent trainers from Victoria. So mm. um, I don't want to graphically no. talk about what is alleged to have happened there, but mm. it's, it's, it's pretty horrendous. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What's the solution? Okay, my solution is I don't think that animals um, being used for human sport is a great idea. I think Mm. it's always going to require the animals to be pushed to or beyond their limits. And ultimately, I think it has to end. It's Mm. a form of violence against animals. Mm. And we need to focus on human sports if we want to Mm. do that. I mean, the example of the marathon was interesting, but we don't think about putting massive weights around the necks of our marathon no, runners, no, do we? No. Mm. Um, hydration stations and all sorts of things along the and way. And if that they were dying one yes. per marathon, or gold, Olympic gold medal marathon, then I don't think we'd be mm. doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, so ultimately, but the big thing is right at the moment, they're not paying any attention or they don't seem to be working out that is the general public, because even though there was this wonderful expose on the 7.30 report, mm-hmm. which brought to the attention of the community how many racehorses are dying, um, uh, when I say dying, being killed, mm-hmm. and ultimately a lot of them for meat, um, there's no sort of understanding of the cost of keeping a horse alive mm-hmm. for its lifetime. And just mathematically, I'm not a mathematician, but... If a horse costs maybe between three and five thousand dollars to keep going every year with the veterinary and the farrier costs and the feed, and even if they're not being fed, anyway, it soon works out to with horses living naturally um, between 25 and 30 years. Wow, that's a lot of money. Mm. It is 20 years on from racing, um, 20 years. It just works, I, I don't know, mm, at the minimum you're looking at about 100000 per mm. horse. Can they afford to put 100000 per horse? And that's leaving out the time and the trouble and the effort mm. that the people go to to look after the horses mm. every day. Yeah. Horses need supervision. And Nick, look, I was just wondering if you can talk to us about what the laws are that, that I guess, um, intersect with this area. You know, what, what if... if if we're, if we've obviously identified there's a significant issue and it's obviously something that your organisation has mm. known about for several years and I feel like the rest of the community, and I have to be honest, myself included, I've only recently really... I've probably... I, I'm guilty mm. of the of the willful blindness um, about what's been going on Gemma, um, as much as anybody else. Um, I was. But I'm, I'm intrigued mm. to try and work out, you know, are there laws in place already that are meant to be monitoring how this um, how, how animals are treated under mm. under the law um, and can law be part of the solution do you think we have um, welfare laws in okay place. we have 
laws like the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, which does apply to racehorses um, in Victoria. We're talking about Victoria here. Mm. And uh, the RSPCA, Victoria, mm. is responsible for um, pursuing those laws in relation to all horses now within the state of Victoria. Uh, it used to be sort of somewhat divided with Racing Victoria, but I think it's now understood that RSPCA has to take primary responsibility. So there are all kinds of provisions in the Prevention of Cruelties to Animals Act that we would argue do apply to racehorses, mm. the overdriving of horses, you know, to mm. lead them to injury, the whipping of horses, technically that's beating, or... Um, or potentially torture or other other offences under the Act, but it's all to do with. Um, I think it's because there is a there is this provision that if it is considered reasonable mm. under the law, then it's okay. And maybe maybe the RSPCA don't have the resources or the ability or the capacity or the drive or whatever it is to pursue that. And maybe they are frightened, and I am a little bit frightened of what the judges might make of what is reasonable, because it all comes down to a, a how reasonable laws are assessment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it comes down to that idea of um, you were mentioning the um, one of the laws here in Victoria that talks says you're not allowed to um, cause unreasonable pain or suffering, or unnecessary pain or suffering so implied in that is this idea that you can cause reasonable pain or mm. suffering and you can cause necessary mm. pain or suffering it seems really odd um, yes and no because if you try I, I always try to sort of convert it to what would it be reasonable if we were talking about humans mm -hmm. and you could see that some medical practices mm. would need to inflict a level Chemo, of pain. for example, mm. yeah. inflicts definite suffering and pain That's in true. order to achieve an end. So I kind of mm. understand that, that there needs to be some um, discretion or in some... Yeah. But it's the way it's applied, really. Yeah. And obviously it's not being applied the same way it's applied to humans at all. Mm. So terms. do you think that's an error of, of regulation then? Is it something where we haven't got authorities who are properly empowered to pursue um, or to, to push the envelope in terms of how far the law goes? Mm, you're really getting onto my my, <laughs> my favourite topic here. My, um, enforce my bugbear is yeah. enforcement, yes. Yeah. Um, yes, I do think that we have a significant problem, which is probably derived from the fact that we have uh, primarily a charity enforcing mm. um, mm. enforcing anti-cruelty laws. Okay. Um, and I just That's don't think so that charities enforce mm. criminal laws well. And no. I don't think they enforce any laws well. So they're, so they're actually empowered to enforce it these laws as possible criminal activities mm, the they are criminal unnecessary criminal and and unreasonable pain and suffering mm -hmm. they're okay that they're empowered to undertake criminal prosecutions mm -hmm. and in fact they're relied on to undertake those criminal prosecutions mm. but they're only given funding to undertake well uh. i don't know if you've had experience reporting cruelty but even the amount that they actually get to investigate and and so sorry is only 
you know, a proportion of what is actually happening, happening. out there. And then of that amount, they um, derive about one third of their income. Actually, I think it's got down to even a quarter now of what they're spending comes from government and they have mm. to make up the shortfall yeah. from charitable donation. Yeah. So they're a non-government organ, you know, they're a charity basically. And they're not indemnified yeah. by the government. So when oh. they are sued as they were a few <laughs> years ago and suffered a massive loss, they had RSPCA had to take out a bank loan. Oh wow, that's they're still not paying fair. off to um to yeah. cover the loss. It yeah. really strikes me that it, that that's sort of descriptive of how we situate animals in our society. They're they're like like mm. I noticed when we were doing research for this that in fact the laws don't actually talk about the animals' rights. They talk about people's rights to do stuff to animals. Animals actually don't have it's any because, rights. Yeah, they're only welfare laws. They're not they're mm. pr- protections, but they're not rights. That's yeah. so interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. I think. Uh, I don't know if people in the community would would feel comfortable with the thought that an animal doesn't have inherent rights in and of itself as a sentient being. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it's 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 interesting to sort of see where the edges of the law and our very kind of common law English concept mm. of what rights are, um, how that stops short and flows over. I mean, ha- have animal rights ever been? How how has that how has that concept um, developed? I guess. I think it's developed and. I just want to give an example. I completely agree with you. It's developed out of the idea that we didn't know what animals were when it came to law, so we put them into this category of property, which made sense when we were back in the Dark Ages, thinking that animals were like machines. Yes. And that they didn't have real feelings. (laughs) The Dark Ages, yes. (laughs) Yes, you um, see see a lot of treatment like that still. Yes, yeah, yeah true. But yeah, but I I did stand uh, I sat rather in a parliamentary inquiry recently on animal activism, and I felt I could say that no one in this room sitting here would regard animals as mere property like the table at which we're sitting. Yeah, and yet that is the status of our law at the moment. And one of the one of the inquirers went to object, but then stopped herself. Um, but I just thought this is yeah, it's inane, and I think that's what it comes out of that we never figured out if they're not property, what are they? But we don't want to, we didn't want to give them the same status as humans because we were all affected by massive mm. speciesism, mm. and we couldn't work out how that would work. But now that we've given rights to people with disabilities who um, may not be legally competent and may actually have less um, intellectual capacity or ability to express themselves than animals, maybe we can start to break down that barrier and see that Mm -hmm. sentient beings are sentient beings and they all have the same Mm -hmm. basic rights not to suffer unnecessarily. That Mm. we're all beings. Yep. Equivalently. Mm. Um, I noticed that in in the ACT, um, mm. they have some recognition in their law of domestic animals as sentient beings. Um, mm. ha- is that 
the only place in Australia? Do you know that? Yeah, it's a very recent change in the law, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, We're very pleased that that has finally come about and it is the only jurisdiction at the moment. However, Victoria has been, it's got a, they kind of beat us to the punch because the Victorian (laughs) government has been talking about bringing in sentience for at least two to three years, as in really strongly saying they plan to legislate and mm. recognise the sentience of not just domestic... Is it only domestic animals? No, I think it's actually not just domestic animals. I just heard a lecture on this the other day. Um, yeah, it's actually all animals down to a pretty low... Le- the low level where they're... Mollusks. Not, yeah, yeah, where we're not <laughs> so sure So interesting, they are that, that hierarchy too, isn't it? Mm. That hierarchy of yeah. beings. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And what, where, where everyone and every being sits in, in there. Think it's that hard. Like some people say, where would we stop? You know, what about carrots? And so don't they have oh. feel pain? And I'm like, no, they have no nervous system. Yeah. It's not that hard really mm. to draw the line. Um, Peter Singer, I remember... When I was becoming a vegan, I wanted to find out where do, where do I draw the line here? Mm-hmm. And he kind of said, well, between a, um, I think it was like a prawn and a, a basic mollusk that doesn't move. And suddenly it gelled for me. Maybe it's movement mm-hmm. that then leads us to develop, well, through evolution, to develop Sightings. the ability to feel pain. Mm. Yeah. Because if you can't move away from pain, there's no advantage evolutionarily yeah. in feeling pain. So maybe it's once That's they an become in any point. way mobile. Do you think this whole idea of sentient beings is just more, just like we were talking about before, necessary and unnecessary and reasonable and unreasonable pain? So sentient being just being another bit of legal jargon that we lawyers are very good at getting around if we well, have a client. Well, it's certainly been recognised in other for? jurisdictions and it mm, hasn't okay. seen any dramatic like New Zealand and it hasn't mm. seen, well, I don't think we've seen any... I mean, New Zealand is better than us in terms of many things. Some of of the animal welfare components, but there's still a lot of suffering of animals and cruelty happening in New Zealand as well. So just recognising sentience isn't the end of the game by any means, but it's a good start. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's it's basically absurd that we don't recognise it, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what, what... has the presence of sentience, I guess, in a, in a legislative context in New Zealand meant that we have case law that considers what this, the, the sentience of a particular animal was as part of that deliberation? That's kind of the, pro- the next... Sorry, I, keep, I feel of, like I'm always one, mm-hmm. one, one thing um, which is pushing no, no, you in a different direction. Thinking, thinking <laughs> of the future, it's really important that you do think like this because, yes, sentience is one tranche that we need before we can get into courts and mm. actually have... But in order to get into ho- courts, as all lawyers know, you need legal standing as mm. well. Mm. At the moment, animals aren't considered legal persons under mm. the law. I'm not sure they ever will be with that I language. Heard, I heard mm. a river has legal standing in, mm. in New yeah. Zealand, but animals don't. And mm. all, all the corporations yeah, Not that I have a problem with the river, but mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I just, you know... <laughs> So until we can, um, lawyers for animals suggest that we change the notion of personhood to legal Mm -hmm. entity Mm. because it doesn't seem to, linguistically it just doesn't seem to match with all the kinds of things that are being given legal personhood to corporations and churches and Mm. rivers and 
and buildings, I think. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes. And, of course, it, it, that taps into our – we were t- discussing before we came on air, the the language we use also situates animals as non, non-people, like, you know, recently a, um, a certain world leader described someone as dying like a dog mm. and someone else said, you know, you're a pig. And mm. so the use of those um, – descriptions reinforces yes yes yeah that situates animals in our almost in our imaginations in our Mm. minds as lesser you know not not like a human i heard that the president said that Mm. partly because he wanted to target the middle eastern audience who consider dogs to be unclean and therefore it was especially you know insulting Mm. (laughs) i'm like that's Exactly right. the reinforcement. What a wonderful world. You don't need it. That must make your job really hard. Mm. Should so. we may I perhaps take a, uh, a flick to a quick song? I've been mm-hmm. having my finger on the on the oh. hovering. So um, we'll yeah. be back in just a couple of minutes. We're going to listen to the the beautiful uh, Ruby Hunter. Thank okay. You. Welcome back. We're with Nicola Donovan from Lawyers for Animals and we have to wrap up. So uh, Nicola is telling us about um, two important, she has two important things she wants to tell us about. The first is um, that at Lawyers for Animals, they need people. Yeah, we would love to get (laughs) some new legal executive. We've got an AGM coming up on the 21st of November and I would love any lawyers out there who are interested in animal issues. No, you don't have to be vegan. Do you you have to be a lawyer? (laughs) 
we do need people to be lawyers to sit on the executive because we want to keep right. the legal focus of the organisation and also the reputation of the organisation when mm -hmm. we go about mm. advising. So yes, yes, but you don't necessarily need to have an you know an active practicing no. certificate. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. an active need to be admitted. legal mind. Have been. <laughs> and if someone was to join Lloyds for Animals, what kind of what kind of work do you do, or what kind of in, what what work would that involve? I guess uh, we basically divide between two things. We we do a lot of submission work, so we try to use our legal skills to focus in on um, positive ideas to reform laws and we also uh, run in partnership with the Fitzroy Legal Service who are very helpful mm. we run a free animal law clinic once a week on a Wednesday night where's that it's at the Fitzroy Legal Service at the okay. Fitzroy Town Hall but you need to make an appointment mm -hmm. by ringing the Fitzroy Legal Service during the week to make an okay. appointment so what kind of, um, like as a general high level, what kind of um, matters do you see that yeah, come through the animal look, law clinic? What a fascinating thing to yeah. have. It, it is, and we had hoped to do sort of a, a broad range of issues and lots of activism issues and things like that, but I have to admit we probably deal with at least at least 50% of our work would be the dogs who've been impounded, seized, mm. Oh, okay. on death row, mm. desperately needing some sort of advocacy. And mm. sometimes there isn't much that can be done and sometimes there really is. And, mm. and that's heartwarming when you mm. have yeah. a small victory there. And I suppose without wanting to find a positive in, in a sea of, of things that are obviously needing attention, have you found that uh, in, in, the, in recent years in particular there's been a much um, more interest and focus in on animal rights in general from oh. the community? such a rapid transition yeah. even from the time because um, oh, I, I joined mm, LFA yeah. at its uh, founding event mm. in 2005 just massive since then massive changes and I, yeah I've loved being part of an organization where you're really at the forefront of legal change yeah that's yeah. brilliant and speaking of legal change we know that there's an inquiry that you wanted to mention happening in New South Wales there is and it's on my pet topic of animal <laughs> animal law enforcement, animal cruelty law enforcement, and um, anyone can can make submissions to that inquiry. It's been set up by um, Mark Pearson of the Animal Justice Party up there. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's really looking into this particular question of whether a charity should be enforcing the law or whether it should be handed over perhaps to a, a specialised police unit. A more formalised, yeah. Yep. And, and particularly a dedicated animal yeah. cruelty, like the New York example is a fantastic example of how to to um, still keep the RSPCA helping with the forensics mm. and the animal mm. care and so forth, but partnering with the police over there. Well, that sounds um, like a great model. Mm. It's, mm. Worked, it's worked really surprisingly so well. So even though that's in New South Wales, can anyone in Australia make a submission to That's that? That's right. Yes, you yes? can. Okay. There's an online form. But Lawyers for Animals are going to put up some ideas um, and sort of like, you know, sample ideas to be plagiarised if anyone wishes <laughs> and put into their own submissions. And the submissions aren't due until the 29th of November. Fantastic. All right. That's well, we'll um, we can probably share the Lawyers for Animals on our yeah. Done by Law website if you'd like, oh, so yeah. that yeah. people can go Great. and have a look and see that material for themselves if they like. Yeah, or if pretty they easy. Lawyersforanimals.org.au. Or you can you? Have, remember Law it. Lawyers for Animals. <laughs> yep. Lawyers for Animals, all <laughs> spelled out. Wow. So much. That went so quickly. It did. And so much yeah. to talk about. And now we're over time. 
<laughs> so um, thank you very much, Nicola, for giving us your time tonight and chatting about all these important issues. And we, I feel like we only just touched the surface a bit. But And thank you out there in Community Radio Land yeah. for listening. And to finish, I found this quote on your website and I want to quote it because it's mm, so cool. I love this. <laughs> the greatest, this is a quote from Mahatma Gandhi and um, I think it sums up tonight's discussion. And the quote is, The greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. So on that note, thanks everyone. Catch you next time. Thanks so much. Thanks yeah. again, Nicola. Thank you yeah, both. Thanks. thanks. Have Down a lovely law, evening. 3CR 855 on the AM band and streaming on the 3CR website and soon by podcast. Stay tuned for the voice of West Papua. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs>